Hello, audacious listeners. It's Mercy, your fave Gen Z on your fave Gen Z careers podcast, Audacity of We. Each episode, I'll be having chats about the reality, honesty, and spilling all the Gen Z tea when it comes to careers. So, let's get into it. Hey everyone, welcome to Audacity We, the podcast, your fave Gen Z careers podcast. And today I have an incredible guest and a fellow Gen Z who is making some game-changing waves in thought leadership. And I'm so, so excited to have you on the podcast. Khalil, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so just like ready and pumped to get into the discussion. Oh, I love that. You're bringing some energy. We have a bit of a time difference. So it's like, what's quite early where you're at, 8 a.m.? It's about 8.05 right now in the morning. (laughs) Yeah, so um, we're definitely going to get that energy flowing. And I'm going to grab the energy that you have as well. And we'll just keep each other going. (laughs) Yeah, as I mentioned before, I'm a morning person. So it all works out for me. Perfect. I love it. Great. So, Khalil, as a self-proclaimed CEO of Hyping Up My Friends, I like to bring that energy into my podcast with my podcast guest. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hype you up. I'm going to say kind of how we came across each other and everything and just shout all your accolades so there's no room to be humble when you come to talk about your career and everything. Are you ready for that? I'm totally ready. Okay, so I first came across Khalil when Assad, he is the CEO at The Unmistakables, and you both met at Cannes, the festival, and I thought that was amazing, and I was talking about my podcast, he was like, I really think you should talk to this person, I met him at Cannes, and this was amazing, and I was like, yeah, let me see what's going on there, the name sounds familiar, I searched kind of who you were, and then I was like, wait, hold up, I've been following this guy on TikTok, like, I've been following your work and what you've been doing, and I know you've got great insight and and thought leadership and I was like wow this is super interesting we hopped on a call and you have the most savviest job title Gen Z historian which I think I'm excited for you to chat about and how that came to be and you are a public speaker you're an influencer educator of Gen Z perspectives also EDNI so equality or equity diversity and inclusion and a graduate from Yale University which is amazing and then also on top of all of that being the first black student body president during your time there I was like how many things we're going to add on uh-huh. <laughs> like that is amazing for such a young age as well so Khalil please do come in introduce yourself say who you are and say kind of how you've gotten to where you are today of course so hello everyone you probably know by now but my name is Khalil Green I was born outside of Washington DC so the capital of the United States um, in a suburb and the name of that county was called Montgomery County and the town that I was in specifically Germantown Maryland was ranked actually as like the fifth if I'm not mistaken most diverse place in all of America so I grew up around a lot of different cultures, a lot of different people, and that definitely provided a nice um, set of skills for me for getting to know people, all different backgrounds. But at the same time, Montgomery County was also plagued by severe social injustice in that it was a highly segregated county in that uh, there were wealthier parts of the county where you only find a white community members and then there were poorer parts where you mostly found um, black and latino students and community members Uh, so that was my first lens into the uh, world of social justice and social inequality and i always was curious to know why that was the case so that led me to studying while i was at yale history specifically the history of social change and social movements like how society functions how people are organized who makes the decisions about 
um, our government and our schools and our policies and everything like that. And that was really the academic background, the grounds of work that I do now as a Gen Z historian. I make informational edu edutainment, they say, so educational and entertaining content about history, especially United States history, and especially related to the marginalization of people in the United States. And from this experience, I've gotten uh, to walk through so many doors, whether it be a White House briefing on the war in Ukraine, or going to Cannes with TikTok or getting a New York Times feature. These are all really cool opportunities. And it just comes from a curiosity and a passion to investigate some of the questions that I had even when I was a kid. That's amazing. And then I love how you kind of have these like new names that, that are coming out, like Gen Z historian or like edutainment. Like, how have you been navigating such, I would say, a novel area where these things are coming up? How has that been since you've graduated, especially? I really try to treat it as if it weren't novel and that I look at where are similar things happening and what can I gain in terms of insights when I look at those things. So to be more concrete, for example, like on YouTube, like history content is very prevalent. Hank Green, who's one of the most famous YouTubers, really grew off of telling stories about history um, made for people that they can easily search up and apply to their school curriculums. And there's also a lot of social justice commentators who are on YouTube. So the name of the game isn't necessarily like creating this entirely new industry or this entirely new set of, of topics to talk about, but instead just making it shorter form. So, I mean, I, I, I take the arguments and the research that I do, and then I just try to carve out as much fat as possible so that it does fit under a minute. And I say that's the novel part, and that does become difficult over time. But I think also as I get more reps in, I know, okay, I can take out that line and instead put a graphic behind me or i can just reference this source or write a little graphic overlay so people can do more research and this is the 60 seconds worth of content that i need to verbalize for the video and that's all that i try to fit into the video so that it is under a minute nice and you know talking about more short form content i think that leads us quite nicely into the next piece in the next segment the tu gen z we're going to be talking about TikTok, which you know is that online platform that does um provide shorter form content even though they're trying to do longer videos now but it's a really interesting platform that entertainment is really where it used to thrive but now it's been expanded people are using it a lot more in different ways and one of the ways is as a search engine and i think that's super interesting you know like for me personally i'm like yeah okay what restaurants are around what what's happening i will go to tiktok and i will look mm -hmm. to see what restaurants especially are popping up around the uk where where i live so what's your thought process behind it like do you think it does lean more entertainment. Do you think it is going more into the search engine realm? Like, should Google be scared? Like, what do you think? I use TikTok as a search engine pretty often, especially for me when I'm looking up recipes. I've found that when you Google something, a lot of the content you're getting back is in written form. And generally speaking, young people are used to video form content and we prefer it because once again, it's both educational and entertaining. So whereas I can look uh, what are the best restaurants in New York City? And I can find a blog that I have to keep scrolling through and that has like these longer paragraphs and I have to actually like put an effort to read it. Um, if I look something up on TikTok, I know the information will be 
a minute or less. I know it'll have a visual component and an audio component. So it'll be stimulating for multiple senses that I have. And over time, I think people are going to start migrating towards looking up their searches on TikTok because they know that the information they'll get will be in a reliable format that'll like easily tell them what they need to know. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm such a visual person. I love anything with a video component to it. So like when I started realizing, oh, I can actually see what the restaurant looks like, or I can actually see how to make said recipe. Because when things are written and they're like, okay, cut it this way and into this slice and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, how do I do that though? <laughs> I can't see it in my head, but on TikTok, I'm like, oh, okay. So it's actually possible because I'm visually seeing someone doing it. So I totally get you with that. And I guess on TikTok, you know, we've talked about it for entertainment, we've talked about it as a search engine. Is there anything else? Like, what do you gravitate towards when you kind of like pick up your phone, open the app, and except for making content, because that's what you do really great on there. But what do you do? What's your world on TikTok looking like? Yeah, I mean, as most TikTokers go, I don't necessarily put an effort to search things. I just do the for you page. Um, that said, I feel like as far as I have experienced content creators use platforms less than actual people. Mm. So most of the time I get on and I post and I maybe swipe a few times um, and I'll look at my own comments because I have to like put in the effort to respond to those. And because the responsibilities of using TikTok are more extent, like, I guess like, like extenuous than the average person, um, I don't necessarily have a desire to consume TikToks after I've put in like hours of responding and editing. So I don't use TikTok that much. And when I do, it's usually just related to the content. Like when I do use videos, it's oftentimes just feeding me back content related to the content that I create. And then once again, as I mentioned, every once in a while, if I like need to find a quick recipe or I need to do a quick search and want to answer really quickly, I'll search something up. Yeah, and I think that's a good point when you're talking about content creators and, and social platforms and that relationship. I guess, is there any platform that you have reserved or like saved as being like, okay, this is where I go for entertainment or is yeah, it that kind of, yeah. So what, what does that look like for you? What is your relationship with that? And what platform is it like? Yeah, this is more social for me. So for me, that's YouTube. I really enjoy YouTube because I like longer form entertainment. I don't want to have to scroll or put in like active effort as I'm like getting entertained and mm. YouTube's longer content format allows me to like do multiple things as I'm being entertained. So as I mentioned, like I might be cooking and I have my TV. I always watch YouTube for my TV. I like never watch it on my computer. Um, but I'll like watch it and like play like a entire video exploration into like the history of Orthodox Christianity, for example. And like, I'm really interested in like obviously history, but maybe, history outside of the United States history I'm on YouTube, like ancient history or mm. um, the history of like religions or um, other like debate political content. And I think for me, hearing those longer form arguments on YouTube kind of inspires me um, to think about certain topics or issues in novel ways. And then in my brain, as I'm like receiving this content, I can like sort of working in my brain to like, okay, how can I regurgitate this in a minute or less? And I kind of like think about that as I'm, as I'm watching it. But for the most part, it does take up enough time where I can like multitask and not have to worry about constantly switching to the next video. 
Nice. And so with the longer form content thing, because I agree and a lot of people argue that longer form content is dead and like people aren't consuming it anymore. But I, I totally love it. Sometimes when I see a video on YouTube, I actively am looking for something like 20 minutes or like 30 minutes or something. Because I'm like this, I have a task at hand. I want to do something, but I want to do something. I want to watch a video that will take the amount of time that the task has. So I love how you kind of said yeah there's a you know argument for short form content but also longer form content still doing its thing mm -hmm. yeah i mean i totally agree with that i purposely look out very long videos like hour hour and a half um and i know i can like clean my house or like do the dishes mm. or do laundry or whatever menial tasks i need to get done and still be entertained because the longer form content will last the duration of the task nice okay so now we've kind of gotten around the elements of like TikTok and long-form content and short-form content and that's kind of your world as well creating content it'd be really good as a content creator to get into kind of a bit of an advice kind of segment called the one thing handbook and really with this i've talked to a lot of people around different professions different careers and this is a very interesting one an emerging one as well in terms of content creators and I'd love for you to bring your kind of experience, especially as Gen Z moving in the space and the digital space as well. And the reason for the One Thing Handbook and why it's called that is that the people who are listening can at least grab one thing and one piece of advice that they would really take and resonate with and they can implement that into their lives. So I think it'd be really great for you to add into the One Thing Handbook that goes across all episodes. And yeah, I'm excited to get into it. So let's start with the more positive, joyful side of things. And I like to start that way because I feel like I'm a positive person. So what is, I guess, one thing about your job and like Gen Z historian content creation, but what's one thing about your job that brings you joy that you can tap into and you're like, yeah, this is why I'm doing this. Writing scripts sometimes is a lot of effort, but I think if I end up with a script that I really enjoy and that I, I always reread the scripts out loud before I record and post them and if I read it out loud and I'm like that was such a good way of arguing my point this is gonna hit like it's just so logical it's so transitive in terms of like the premises towards the conclusion I think that is a feeling that I think will always bring me joy and how what's your kind of process when it comes to writing scripts because I know everyone and um, when it comes to the creative writing of things they have like their different ways to navigate it what does it look like for you so step one is to just do a lot of research, consume other people's content on the topic and like look up essays and videos and stuff like that. Um, and then number two, I just write it from the top of my head, like line by line. And then whenever there's a factual point within a line, I try to like match that to one of the resources that I saw before. And then in the video, like, I mean, I sometimes I'll put links, but I feel like Links are more the traditional way of citing it, but they're actually even harder to access on TikTok mm. because like you can't hyperlink things. So I usually put a screenshot. I get a screenshot of the article and like put it behind me so people could just see and like easier find it easier that way. Um, and then I just read it out loud over and over until like it makes sense to me. So if I'm like if I if I completely disagree with my points right now and I'm reading this script and you went from point A to point B and I could see a hole there Then I have to like rewrite the entire like portion oh, wow. so that there's no hole in the logic. Um, and that's why I don't know, like, of course, there's like times where it, I'm susceptible to be wrong. But I think 
I've yet to find myself posting anything on TikTok that has received like backlash where I've like needed to re revise a statement or like come back and change anything. And it's not because like I'm never wrong, I guess, but like it's more because I like constantly reread and stress test things before I put them out. Whereas other creators, obviously, with the whole cancel culture and everything else, run into a lot of trouble, especially social justice commentary creators, because mm. they start talking about these complex concepts off their head, not being informed or just like not necessarily stressing the logic that they're using. And then it ends up with a bunch of backlash and they have to like revise and recant. Um, so I try to avoid that by just like constantly attacking everything that I write down as if I like completely disagreed and seeing if even in that case it would still make sense and if it does then I decide to post yeah and how I guess how do you do that obviously you've got your lens and it's very hard to like especially when you agree with something that you're like okay but what are the disagreeers maybe saying to this and like kind of having that conversation with yourself like do you find that quite difficult or you actually maybe enjoy it what does that look like yeah I actually really enjoy it um because I, the way I do it is like, I put myself, I'm, I'm like, okay, I totally, I, I can imagine and entrench myself in the thought process. I saying to myself, sort of, I disagree with everything. You're, everything you're saying is wrong. I'm going to look for any hole and I'm going to pick it apart. And I find that fun because it's almost like a logic game, which mm. is something that like lawyers kind of have to go through in the LSAT. And I studied for the LSAT because I thought I was going to be a lawyer for like, a month and I got halfway through a book and the chapter I got through was like logic games and like logical sequences and I thought that was really fun and continued because I didn't want to get into the essay writing portion but <laughs> the first half was fun and I think I retained some of those skills even though it was just like literally studying from a book um and apply those to the scripts and it's it's really more so like knowing that and doing this activity, you'll come up with a better product. It also feels good in the end, like it's a long-term benefit. Yeah, wow. And then that must take some time. Do you like have to limit yourself? Do you have to be like, okay, I can maybe only do this for like an hour straight or however long, like, do you have to limit yourself time-wise? Cause I can imagine that argument goes on. Yeah. For me, surprisingly, for some people, the research is actually the longest part of the entire process because I have to like source so many things and, learn about concepts I might not know and then find accurate resources and not just ones that people put on the internet. Um, it shouldn't take long, but sometimes I procrastinate to write and that takes a while. However, to your question, the logic stress testing part is usually the fastest because my videos are usually between six to 10 lines. So with that being said, it's like six to 10 transitions that I'm looking at. So I just like look at one, does it work? Does it not work? Let me change this word. Let me change that. Okay, next, next, next. Yeah, wow. Okay, so you've got like a formula kind of thing that you're like, yeah, this is how it works and this is how you can get through it. Exactly, uh, by now, after doing it for a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, nice. And I think that's so awesome in terms of like, you know what works and and kind of almost disciplining yourself in a way, but allowing yourself to be like, okay, I need to think beyond me and like how this will land. That's really interesting. I love that 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 brings you joy as well in terms of the whole content creation piece because that some people can find that quite strenuous and like be like, ah, how do I approach this? So if you're thinking about it, maybe you've grabbed some things from <laughs> Khalil over here, being like, you can approach it this way. Um, because I think it's great whenever someone tries to put a form with something, it's something quite practical and tangible. 
Um, okay, so we're going to get into a little bit more of the realities of it all. And I guess what's one thing you've learned in your career that is a watch out that you're like, okay, okay, this is great and everything, but you should actually think about this a little bit more. I think I would watch out from trying to post too often. As I mentioned before, a lot of especially social justice content creators or any political or educational, really any political or educational creators, if you post uh, a lot and you're trying to get content out there, then you lose some of the quality of your research and of your presentation of information. And that can lead to huge ripple effects, especially if your video ends up going viral, like there's millions of people that can see a video with like either misinformation or uh, a poor explanation of things and come away less informed than they were going into it. And as an educational content creator, I feel like your responsibility is to make people more informed. So I would say quality over quantity. And if you're looking at quantity over quality, then that's something you should watch out for. That's a really good point, because I know in the content creation space um, and social media, it's always like post as much as you can, make yourself visible, you know, get yourself out there, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, if you're just posting things without the quality behind it and the quality checks behind it, then you probably can land yourself in a bit of trouble. Mm -hmm. And that's I've seen it happen so many times. All of the TikTok, like every community has their own drama. Mm. Um, I'm a part of two communities, though mainly one, like the social justice content creators. And there's a like since March of this year, there's been like this ongoing drama between a few creators who, if you were segmented, there'd be like the social justice content creators who constantly like stitch really racist people or really problematic people and mm. just try to make a gotcha moment out of it without like really insightful commentary, just like kind of inflaming like the masses to attack that person um and then there's people who i consider myself to be one of them who are trying to educate people about like why racism exists like how you can inform it and help people who are um indoctrinated because it's a really it's not necessarily an individual like issue it's a systemic issue it's an issue that affects so many people and that's taught through schools so like what are the tools to actually dismantle the oppression that we see in society versus like how can we just like attack this person. So I think that's been an ongoing sort of debate that's been stirred by the fact that some people are really just trying to get as many views and, and viral moments as possible. And then like, even right now I'm on history talk, less part of that community per se, but there's all this debate around like the historical accuracy of people and like who's putting better sources and it just all comes down to if you're really meticulous about what you're doing, you're not going to be wrapped up in that drama. And I never have been. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. And, you know, I think like when you're talking about like history and social justice, like those topics can be quite emotionally like a roller coaster. And I mean, I have worked in diversity and inclusion in that kind of world and consulting in that space. Like, how do you keep yourself level-headed? Maybe there's a topic you're just like, oh my gosh, this is actually pissing me off. But like, how do you keep yourself level-headed? Because you do want to keep that education kind of content pushing through without the noise around it all. I always try to focus on my own work and not what other people are doing. So I think for me, I'm not necessarily in conversation with other creators unless like there's a there are a few creators where I really love their content and I'd love to stitch them and, and, and interact and like build off of their points. But for the ones who are dramatic, I'd say like personally, I'm usually outside of that 
and I just try to focus on like my video. Like, so there can be like a trend happening or something that everyone's talking about. And I feel like if I can't inject a good and, and informational insight into it, then I'll come, I'll look at a whole nother topic, write a whole nother script that's completely unrelated and just do the best that I can on that effort and then oh. post it so that I'm like avoiding any like the emotionally driven sort of not necessarily emotion emotion is not bad but like emotionally inciting sort of content that's out there yeah okay and then if you were kind of to rewind time back to when you've freshly graduated out of university what is one thing you wish you knew when you started your career that you wish someone had told you when you started out I actually just graduated in, in May of this year. So I guess like if I look like a few months ago, I would say make your content creation schedule work for you and stick to it. Mm. I had a lapse because I was traveling a lot right after school. And it's been like two months that I've been really sparsely creating content. So for me, had I a more sustainable scheduling if it was like one time a week, I would have been able to produce more content. And I think I would have increased my following at a faster rate, though right now I am in a, I guess, hot moment where a lot of my videos are going viral and I'm increasing followership pretty actively. So I got back in the group, but had I never left, I think I'd be farther along now. Okay. And I mean, one, congratulations for graduating. But two, like, I think you can learn a lot in months. So 100%. That's why I always like to ask everybody, what do you wish you kind of knew? And especially when someone's freshly graduated, because you're like, oh my gosh, like, it's not what I thought. And maybe this and that. And it's really great to reflect back because I'm not good at that. So I love when someone pauses me and being like, hold on, like, let's rewind some months. So I'm really, really glad that you're able to bring that forward. Because I do think time management, especially, and when it comes to content creation can be a bit difficult to navigate. So it's really great that you brought that point in and I'm really glad that you did. And I guess, you know, you've talked about your peers on TikTok and, and kind of like the other content creators that are on there. What is one thing that you, you've, you've mentioned some things, but what's another thing that maybe you wish content creators just did a little bit better when it came to moving in that space? Most content creators have their own niche or have their own stylized format of presenting information, their own research that they use. And I'd say there's such a mass of creators who are doing really great content creation out there that by and large, I wouldn't say that I have strong advice for like the masses or like what should change. I think the great thing about the great thing about TikTok is that there's so many people doing it differently. And each one of those styles has a lot to offer for a consumer and audience member. So Honestly, I'd say just keep going with what they're doing and keep creating and keep diversifying how you um, approach your craft from the next person so that there's a wider array of styles of information that people can choose from. And then when it comes to, I guess, business leaders who maybe of older generations or even companies themselves, when it comes to them navigating TikTok, is there any piece of advice that you'd want to throw their way in entering the space and like looking at how to use it? If I were a brand starting to use TikTok for the first time, the first thing that I would do is read up on what TikTok is mm. or watch what TikTok is to like a YouTube video or even if you get TikTok and you search what is TikTok on TikTok, 
and you finalize tutorial, it's kind of meta, but that might work. Understanding how the platform works is number one. Number two, there are a lot of agencies out there that partner with brands to find the best creator for a job or position or a campaign. A lot of them really are effective and I'm a non-exclusive member of multiple and they they were served as middlemen and like funnel campaigns to creators. And that makes it easy for brands because they don't have to necessarily go seeking out people too much. And it also makes it easy for creators because they have a sustainable source of projects. So partner with an agency at the onset. And then as you find creators that you especially love to partner with or in your own TikTok journey, you come across a creator that you think would be good for your brand, then you can start to reach out to them as a last step in your development process of working with people regarding TikTok. Amazing. I think that's some really useful bits that you brought out. So definitely thank you for that. And, you know, we're going to come wrapping up this podcast a bit, but I always love to end it with a game. And this game is called Keep or Delete, where I'm just going to throw three topics your way. And what you have to do is either pick keep for that topic. So it's something that is a bit of you, you enjoy, you're like, yeah, I can have that in my world if I was to create an ideal world. Or we delete it, we get rid of it, it's out the window, you're like, nah, I can live without that. And maybe you really want to live without it. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the first one is bucket hats. This summer, I've been seeing bucket hats everywhere. Everyone's been wearing them, everyone's been sporting them. What do you think? Would you keep or delete bucket hats? I delete bucket hats. I don't like their style or design. And I think caps are more personalized. And when people show their more individualism, I appreciate it more. So whether that be their actual hair or a head wrap or an interesting hat that's not a bucket hat, I think I appreciate that more. Okay, interesting. Well, that's funny because I would actually keep bucket hats. I don't know what it is. I, I was out in the California sun this summer and I was like, oh, it's hot. And for some reason, I was like, that is what shaded me. But also, I I guess I hopped on the trend because I just think it looks quite cool. So, okay, we've got different different lenses there, which is fine. Let's see how the second one goes. So the second topic is fall as a season and in the in the uk we call it autumn so what do you think about that season i know people love the vibes of it some people don't where do you stand keep or delete fall is my favorite season by far so heavy keep uh here the leaves change colors the best flavors of food whether it be like pumpkin spice or like the cinnamon the baking of it all is just so nice a lot of the memories of going back to school and like meeting some of my closest friends took place in the fall. It's the time where you can wear a longer sleeve outfits and transition between like a heavier layering and a lighter layering to mix up your approach and your style. I'm in the Northeast United States and we have like a big fall culture in terms of like hay rides and pumpkin yeah. carving. Um, and wearing flannel and doing like apple, bobbing for apples. There's a lot of like carnival culture that happens in the fall that also brings up a lot of fond memories. And I used to be a big summer guy, but then I realized I was on a bandwagon. I'm gonna end my speech now, but fall is the best (laughs) season and we keep fall. Do you know what? I think you gave fall a really good speech there. Like you gave a real good pitch, but I got to disagree again. I don't know what it is like I am a summer gal but I also so if I was to pick between the two like it mm, 
fall just doesn't do anything for me i'm like let me get to christmas like what's going on so mm. i love that fall has a fan and an advocate in you and that's <laughs> what and a very strong one be it with that speech so i'm pretty sure there's loads of people that are just thinking the same wavelength as you but for me fall autumn it's got to go so our world are looking a little different so let's see if we can what happens with the third one and we'll see if we will go three for three for just being on different pages <laughs> The last one is an either or, so you have to keep one and you have to delete the other. Mm -hmm. Apple versus pears, the fruit. Apples versus pears. Which one are you keeping and which one are you deleting? Both of them give me slight allergies. Oh, well, that's not great. They're both, yeah, they're both on the fence. If I had to delete one, it's pears, because at least when apples are heated and, and baked and they turn into apple pie i'm allowed like i can eat them okay however i've never had a pear pie i don't know what a pear pie is so there's no traditional format of creating pears that oh. i can consume so i have to delete them okay well we can agree on that one okay, <laughs> I, was I was like it. yeah let's let's clap to that because we got there in the end although allergies I guess to totally limited it and maybe mm -hmm. apples had a bit of an advantage but I have to say you're probably not missing anything with pears I do not understand anyone who enjoys a pear it's a very <laughs> interesting fruit that has the most I think ridiculous texture so um you're not missing anything apples are great apple pies are great and all the rest of it and there's different versions of apples as well there's the green apples there's the red apples and all the things in between I think pears are just this this one thing where it's like you like it or you don't and for me I don't like it so we're deleting pears collectively one thing <laughs> we can agree on which is great I mean I think we did all right like you know, we have our two different ideal worlds, but we come together when it gets to apples, and that that's great. I think, yeah, we found a compromise. Third time's the charm. Exactly. Third time's the charm. Well, Khalil, I'd love to chat about, you've got such a great, bright future ahead of you, I'm sure, and we're going to be so excited following it and everything, but kind of what do you hope is next for your career? Is there something that you're like, I want to do these immediate next steps, and kind of also what's longer term? What do you hope for yourself? next year is my youtube year so i'm really going to try to get into youtube nice. speak on longer form content as we did earlier i think it's the final front not the final frontier but it's the next frontier for me so really trying to get into youtube i have i'm writing a book that'll be coming out in a few years so that's Amazing. a longer term sort of thing but i'm excited for that as well and if i had to say a last thing i'm just going to continue to create content throughout the end of the year try to really make great TikToks that push the conversation on a lot of different social issues uh, in a way that is both accessible and eye-opening. And that's really the goal for the end of the year. Nice. I mean, we're in 2022 right now. So 2023, YouTube better watch out because you're coming on the scene. And we're really, really excited for that. And then, you know, you're talking about your book, which is amazing. Like, is there anything you can drop around the book or is it all hush-hush right now? It's not all hush-hush. I can say that it's going to take the content that I do best on TikTok, uncovering hidden history, and put it into a written format. Amazing. So we're looking forward to that as well in the coming years. So we'll definitely keep tabs on that. And I guess, where can people follow you? Where can people follow your work and what you're up to and what you're doing? Where should they be looking? First and foremost, Instagram is my platform for people who want to follow me intimately, because 
when you follow someone on Instagram, you're more likely to see their content versus if you follow someone on TikTok, you can see content from anyone on your for you, for you page. So on Instagram, all my videos are formatted with like captions so you can easily navigate um, to find a video you might like. And then secondary to that, of course, TikTok. I also have a Patreon, which I um, really actively for, like hope everyone can subscribe to. I put out exclusive content on there and I interact with my patrons directly. So if you want to direct contact to me, you can find it there. And I just really appreciate the support so that I can continue to create free content on these other platforms. Nice. And I love how you brought on Patreon as well, because I think that's something that's becoming more of a thing in the UK. Um, so definitely, and I everyone can access it, right? Everyone can. Yes amazing okay great and then with audacity we we are also on social platforms as audacity we especially on linkedin and instagram as well our episodes come out on spotify also apple podcasts and amazon music and lastly if you do have any questions for me it's audacity we at gmail.com you can email me and let me know what's up but thank you so much khalil for being on the podcast it's been great recording with you thank you so much for having me. this is so much fun